You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. It's good to be with you this morning to close out the series. Uh, baptisms are always incredible, and so I had the privilege of uh, introducing uh, Aisha and Kevin as well, and kind of was funny. Backstage, you know, I see Kevin and I should both barefoot. And I'm like, Kevin, this is the first time I've seen you barefoot. Um, Kevin was in the small group when we played the joke on that guy. I remember that story. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's kind of cool to see what's happened uh, and how things have progressed. And he's so kind and forgiving that a couple weeks ago for my birthday, he even brought donuts uh, to small group with candles in it. And they sang. It was beautiful. Um, all right. Let's jump in and close out this series today on... Um, concerning the heart and you know we started several weeks ago with the concept of kind of how we do church with with rows uh, rooms and then the recliner the rows what happened on Sunday you know rooms are these small group settings like like I was talking about with Kevin and just kind of where the larger this place gets the smaller it feels you get to know names you get to know struggles you get to encourage each other and the recliner is the concept of, of what happens in your alone time like on a daily basis where God is working on the heart total renovation of the heart and then we've spent time examining what it looks like like thoughts from the recliner on behalf of our heart today I want to close with a question I want us to look at a question that Jesus asked and I want us to pay close attention to the question in the gospel accounts Jesus asks questions over and over and over again hopefully in the fall I plan to do a series on behalf of some of his questions now there are 300 questions in the gospel accounts from Jesus I'm not going to do all 300 but we're going to highlight several but today I want to look at one of them in particular that's found in John chapter 5. So got your Bible, you can turn to John 5. And what's going to happen is Jesus is going to address a question about the heart that really addresses all of us in this room. Now since we're in John 5, I want to think about what John, the author of John, has done up to this point. He's trying to let everyone know who Jesus is, how Jesus claimed to be God's son. So when you see Jesus, you see God. When you hear Jesus speak, you hear God speak. When you see what Jesus does, this is what matters to God. John begins this way. Like in chapter 1, he makes a statement. The word, meaning Jesus, John 1:14, the word became flesh. So God himself put on skin. And he made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so John lets the, the reader, you and I know immediately, this is, this is the story of when God came to earth. Now, there was a prophet named John that was known as John the Baptizer, who just so happened to be the cousin of Jesus. And early in John chapter 1, John makes reference to when John the Baptizer first saw Jesus. He made this statement. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away all the sin of the world. Meaning, this is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one the Old Testament has talked about. He's finally here. So, so the author of John starts off immediately with God came to earth. And then he highlights how a prophet pointed out that he's here. And then all, you get to John chapter 2 and you see that Jesus does his first miracle at a wedding. Uh, some people ask, why would he do the first miracle at the wedding? It's simple. When you read in John chapter 2, it's because he was invited. Like it says, Jesus and his friends were invited to the wedding. And there's a predicament where they've run out of wine at the wedding. And Jesus' mom looks at everyone and says, look, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And so Jesus turns this water into wine. It's a beautiful, beautiful miracle. But once again, John includes that miracle to let everybody know, okay, God's come to the planet. A prophet's recognizing him. And now he's doing these miracles to show that he's God. Well, then what John does from John chapter 2, 3, 
4 and then to 5, there's four different conversations that take place. One is Jesus with Nicodemus. The second one is Jesus with the woman at the well. The third is with Jesus and a royal official. And the fourth is found in John 5 with Jesus and a man that's found, he's crippled at the pool of Bethesda. Now, on behalf of Nicodemus, he's a religious leader. On behalf of the woman, she's just like us. She's not a Jew, but she is caught up in her sin. On behalf of the royal official, the royal official was present in John 2 when Jesus did the miracle at the wedding. And he's asking Jesus to perform another miracle on behalf of his son. But what Jesus is telling him about, it's not just signs, it's about faith. And Jesus heals his uh, son just with the word. But then we get to John chapter 5, all right? So this is the fourth conversation. There's a dialogue that takes place, and we'll see the question in this conversation, with Jesus and a man that's crippled at the pool of Bethesda. Now there's a lot of parallels with us, the condition of our heart. Uh, the condition of what they would say here is an Orthodox Jew, but I would say religious Americans. And it's all wrapped up in this story. So I want us to look at it together. John 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool, which is called Bethesda. It's surrounded by five covered colonnades. So Jesus has Jerusalem. It's one of the Jewish festivals where they're celebrating God. Uh, we're not sure which one, but over... Over throughout the year, there would be these festivals that they would celebrate the things that God had blessed for the nation of Israel. And they would, um, they would specifically like highlight whether it was food, um, uh, time off. They would all celebrate what God had done through the nation of Israel because of the descendants of Abraham. Well, Jesus goes into this area, specifically the pool of Bethesda. Now, the word Bethesda, um, there's a play on words there. There's a word called hesed that is inside that word, which literally means the unconditional love of God. Uh, sometimes in weddings, like in Jewish weddings, um, the man would say a word of hesed on behalf of the spouse, meaning loyal to the very end. And so what the nation of Israel is doing at this spot, but you're going to find out in more detail, the pool of Bethesda is a place where people are waiting while the festival is going on and Jesus shows up at this section. Listen to verse 3. Here's some of the Jews that are at the setting. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, these are real people with real conditions. Um, people that are blind, people that are lame, people that are unable to walk. They are looking for healing. They are longing for the mercy of God. Now, these are real people. But in a real sense, this is also a picture of all of us. Lime. Uh, sorry, blind, lame, and crippled, apart from God. Now, what you're going to see in the story, like they mentioned in verse number two, there were five, five colonnades, five covered colonnades. Scholars and archaeologists would tell us that at the Pool of Bethesda, there were these five, five devices, basically, that provided shade where they would lay beneath. So those that were blind and lame and crippled, they would lay underneath these columns. And these columns were built to represent... The first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because those that were religious had a special place for the law. God had established the law. But there were some twisted things that had slowly crept into their hearts on behalf of the law. Now, what you'll notice, if I were to say, okay, let's read the rest of verse 3 and 4. If you were to look at your Bible, majority of the translations in this room are going to say, there is no verse 3 and 4. It goes directly to verse 5. So there's something that we got to address. The reason that, that takes place is, for most of you, you'll see it's a footnote. 
because the verses have been removed or it's in italics. There's a textual problem, and here's what the textual problem is. When they were putting together the manuscripts to compile the New Testament, the earliest manuscripts, majority of the early manuscripts, did not have verse 3 in the second half and verse 4. Because they weren't in the earliest manuscripts, they decided not to include them in ours. The reason they felt that they were there over time was to give clarity on why those people were waiting under the shadow at the pool of colonnade, um, at the colonnades at, um, at the pool of Bethesda. So just for kicks, this will give us a little insight on why they were there. Let me read verse 3 and 4 to give you an idea. They waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. So those that are hiding in the shade of the representation of the law of God, the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. And you probably have an idea why that wasn't included. But it was kind of a theory. It was an idea by the Jews that they were hiding under the shadow of the law. And when the water would move, like they'd see bubbles, an angel, the water had these healing powers. The first one in was healed. So you can imagine there was a, a lot of competition around the area of the pool. Now, let's, let's, let's ask some questions about this. Ready? Would God really provide healing to the person who got to the water quickest? Like, is that the God of the Bible? And on behalf of that, understand that amongst the Jews, those that are religious, some people saw deeds like this as an end to itself. Meaning the whole goal was to sit in the shade of the law and be the first one in and be rewarded and get healed. But by the way, that's not just a Jewish thing. It's kind of an American thing. Like there are Americans that are religious that throw around, oh, the Ten Commandments and the law. And, and when it comes to morality, they're like, man, if I do this... I'm great enough, I'm fast enough, I'm good enough. And the idea is if you're good enough, God will reward you. But understand, that is a twisted thinking that the heart is embraced on behalf of the law. And we're about to see how twisted it is. Verse number five. One who was there, so one of the people that is, that's at the pool under the shade, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So we have a paralyzed man who's lying in the shadow of the law, waiting for the water to stir, hoping that he would be the first one in, the quickest, the, the fastest, so that he would be healed, so that he would be saved. But the problem is he's paralyzed. He can't walk. I, I want to read the first part of a quote, and I'll read the end of it later. But this will give you what the law is really about. To run and work the law commands, but it gives us neither feet nor hands. Like the, the law says, okay, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got But it doesn't give us the ability to do it. Understand, the law is simply a list of rules. They are great to follow. They give us guidelines for life. But it is impossible for any person in this room to keep. Instead, we must put our faith in the creator of the law. The one that fulfilled the law. The one that established the law, Jesus but instead, we've got a guy and a lot of other people, for 38 years this guy, hiding in the shadow of the law, hoping for the water to be stirred so he'd be the quickest person to get in. Now, that's not at all what the Bible is about. Like, hope for healing and hope for eternal life was always promised from the very beginning through Jesus, not the law. Listen to what God told Abraham, the father of Israel, in Genesis chapter 12. And all people on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. 
And you're going to be the father of a nation. And eventually in this nation, there will be a savior, Jesus. But over time, because God created the laws, 400 years after this statement, people started observing the laws thinking, this is what got us to Jesus. This is what got, made us right to God. The quickest, the fastest, the best. And understand this twisted thinking is showing up in the story. So back to John 5. Here comes the question that Jesus is going to ask that I want us to look at. And he asked the same question today to everyone in this room. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked the guy, do you want to get well? It's kind of crazy that Jesus would ask that, isn't it? It's hard to believe. The guy's been there almost 40 years. I mean, if we were to do the math today, that's like the guy's been there since 1983 from today. Ronald Reagan's president, Michael Jordan's a sophomore in college, and I'm six years old. That's a long time that this guy's been there. And Jesus is asking the man, do you want to get well? Common sense question, right? But it's actually a very important question. Verse 7, sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes ahead of me. Like, I'm sitting in the shade of the law, hoping for the water to stir. Everyone's failed me. I've failed me. He's failed me. They've failed me. Apparently, nobody here has what it takes. The book of Psalms makes a statement about this. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough. The man is telling Jesus, look, I can't do it. And no one can help me do it. We have to understand when it comes to the law, the Old Testament, the laws and principles of Scripture, the law is good. And it was created by God to show you and I that we are no good. Like there's not one person in this room that can keep the law. Every person in this room that has finally trusted Jesus understands this. You understand that you couldn't do a thing. No one could help you do a thing. You're broken. I'm broken. We want to be made well, but, but left to ourselves, we're hopeless. Um, listen to verse 8, the same voice behind creation. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Every person in this room that has trusted Jesus, this is a picture of our story. The fact that it's immediate. Like when you trust Jesus, he has brought spiritual healing and even though there is progressive growth watch what happens at once the man was cured he picked up his mat and he walked so far the story is beautifully simple uh, there's no such thing as a person that's been saved but hasn't been changed so the man stands up picks up the mat and he begins to walk by the way uh, it was reminded to me recently that this was like the 20th year on Sunday evenings, we have a college Bible study called The Walk. And this was like the 20-year anniversary. I didn't realize it has been 20 years. Um, but many people ask, okay, where did you get that name, The Walk? When, when I first started that ministry, this was the verse that shaped it, Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So, I mean, when you trust Christ and you finally realize you can't keep the laws, you are broken. I'm helpless. Nobody can help me other than Jesus. When you finally trust him, in the same way that you've received him, you start to walk with him. This is what's happening in this story so far. So, so imagine, this is the dialogue of everything that's taken place. The man is healed. 
the man begins to walk about the city. Keep in mind, if you lived in this area, you knew the guy. You, you had known the guy was crippled for 38 years. The guy was identified because of his disability. Which brings about a very serious question. What will happen to the religious leaders inside the city? When they see the guy healed, and they're wondering, okay, this man's been begging for 38 years. He's been waiting on the water to move. What will the religious leaders do? Look at verse 10. This, there is a world of heartache in this verse. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, Hey, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. To which I want to say, Oh no. Like, like that verse is, their words are heartbreaking. And you and I can't even comprehend the mind of God, the heart of God, when God heard those words. These guys are not concerned about a man's life that's been changed. They're not even moved on behalf of what God's doing in the life of people. And by the way, it's one of the, the greatest joys of pastoring this church. Guys, when, when life change, when there's a beautiful picture of life change, it doesn't matter what it is. Let's just say it's baptisms or something. One of the most beautiful things is the way you celebrate, the way you applaud. But in this story, understand, these religious leaders don't even show kindness on the Sabbath. They're, they're darkened to God and dead to people. No wonder Jesus would later say in Matthew 12, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The problem for the religious leaders, Jesus was messing with their system. Like Their hearts were so messed up that they had embraced the system of law, of rules. It's the same system that this guy and all the others that were lame and crippled and broken were laying around under the shade of the law and the rules. It's like it was a way of living, and Jesus came to shatter that way of living. He was destroying the whole system. Understand this. If you're a follower of Jesus, he will mess with your system. And part of his call is for consumers to become generous givers. This messes with our system. Jesus will call those that are addicted to busyness to find rest. I'm telling you, when you're addicted to busyness, this messes with your system. And Jesus calls to those with power and influence to be humble servants. This will tip your system upside down. Jesus will call the deeply wounded to forgive the very people that wounded you. I'm telling you, this will flip your system upside down. And when we hear how he flips our system upside down, it helps us understand, okay, this is what the Pharisees felt like in this story. In a real sense, Jesus is asking, which is it? He's asking to the Pharisees and you and me, is it my system or yours? Is it my kingdom or yours? Is it going to be my way or your way, my will or your will? On behalf of the heart, you follow Jesus for any length of time your heart will be challenged. Back to the story, verse 11. The man's been asked, who did it? All right. He replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So Jesus is gone. He's left the pool of Bethesda. Um, the scene changes now. We're at a new scene. We're at the courtyard 
of the temple. And Jesus tracks down the guy that he heals. This, this will surprise you. He tracks down the guy that he heals and he has a conversation with the guy. Listen to this. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, Hey, see? You're well again. So far, so good. The verse continues, Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That does not look like Jesus. I wasn't expecting that. Stop sinning or something worse could happen. Here's the point. Here's the thing that I want your heart and my heart to embrace about this. It seems this man was simultaneously well and unwell. Just like you and me. I have to remember that when I've got problems, of which I do, when one problem is taken care of, there's usually another problem that's still going on, and it's right in here. There are problems out there, and there are problems in here. On behalf of this guy, there are things that had happened to him, what's happening to you, and there's, happening, there's things that were happening inside of him, like what's happening inside of you. There's always multiple issues of the heart. Um, remember in Mark 2, when we started this series, when Jesus healed another paralyzed man? Remember they lowered him into the room. Friends did from the top of the roof. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, who can do that? That's not why we brought him here. He's, he's paralyzed. Jesus is like, no, you got two issues going on here. Jesus would ask the audience. He's like, you tell me which is easier. To say, pick up the mat and walk or your sins are forgiven. And he said, all right, pick up the mat and walk. And the guy walked. What Jesus was telling us, there's always two issues there. There's the heart and there's this paralyzed man. And what, in Mark 2, when Jesus... He offered healing. He said, which is easier? Remember, I pointed out, it's easy to say, pick up your mat and walk. It would be harder for Jesus to offer forgiveness because pick up your mat and walk, it happens just with some words in a room among friends. The forgiveness would happen on a hill between thieves on a cross. It would be the hardest thing to do. But Jesus is addressing the issue. There's always multiple things going on, whether it's in you or outside of you. And he asks the question, it's the big question, do you want to get well? He's asking this man, do you want to get well? He's asking the religious leaders, do you want to get well? He's messing with our system. And he will always mess with our system. This is the heart of the matter. When he asks, some of us, when he asks us, do you want to get well, the reality is some of us don't really want to get well. We just want things to get better, like the marriage to get better, the job to get better, the stress to get better, the addiction to get better. We just want stuff to get better, but we don't want things to get well. And understand, he's like, every day he's addressing the heart of the matter. He wants to do a total renovation of the heart. As I read this story about a man that's Wanting to be well after 38 years at the Pool of Bethesda, I couldn't help but think of this lady, Joni Erickson Tata. And some of you have heard of her name. If not, let me tell you her story. July 30th, 1967, she was 17 years old. She dove headfirst in the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. She became a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. She spent years in rehabilitation. For her body, dealing with anger, depression, thoughts of suicide, and extreme doubts about God. You got a guy, 38 years at the Pool of Bethesda, and you got Joni Erickson Tata, 
54 years confined to a wheelchair. Um, she's written several books. She loves Jesus, and she's just candid about going through what she's gone through. I have a friend, I have two friends in particular that support her ministry and are friends with her, and I called them yesterday just to say, hey, I'm going to read this quote from Joni. It's just incredible. I thought I'd let you know. Uh, and as I was talking with him, he said, hey, Tim, let me tell you a story about her. He said, uh, one day I was pushing, and she's got a motorized wheelchair, but I was pushing the chair up the side of a hill in Georgia in the middle of the summer. He said, it was so hot. And he said, I'm miserable because, you know, the, the chair could get up, but it couldn't get up at the speed that it needed to get. So I'm up there pushing and helping. He said, Tim, it's hot for me. He said, let me tell you what Joni's like. He said, she, she prayed out loud, but she didn't do it for me. You just got to know her. She did it because she's real. And she prayed. She said, dear God, I want to thank you for that breeze of wind. I needed it right now. He said, her heart is just always like, like, like in the movement of God. She wrote a book on heaven. It's called Heaven. It's called Heaven, Your Real Home. And on behalf of this book, she's talking about what heaven's like. And I'm going to tell you, like, when the Bible, when you read the Bible, you understand if you place your faith in Jesus, that heaven's going to be beautiful. We'll get these new bodies. And you can imagine, periodically, I think about what it's going to be like to have a new body that's just perfect. How much more so do you think you'd, you'd think about having a new body if you're confined to a wheelchair for 54 years? Like, I can't imagine if she's thinking about running, swimming, climbing. How about this? Even walking beside a stream and hearing the sound of moving water instead of the sound of the motorized wheelchair. But in this book, when she's talking about heaven, I want you to hear, here's a woman that knows what it's like to long to be made well. She says this, you look at me in this wheelchair, paralyzed for 54 years now, and most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to your new body, and yeah, that's one of those fringe benefits. But I'm looking forward to the new heart. A heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases. A heart free of fudging the truth. A heart free from hogging the spotlight. From believing my own press releases. A heart free of not believing the best in others. A heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait to have a heart that's free of sin. That's the lady that doesn't want things just to get better. In the words of Jesus, she wants to be well. I just want us to remember week in and week out, week in and week out, whether it's in a row, a room, or recliner, whether it's at work, I'm telling you, the thing that's at stake is our heart. And what we learn in this story, if I could tell a word to religious Americans, as beautiful as the law is, the law will not save you. It just brings judgment. It's good. It just shows us we're not good. Nobody can keep it. And the mercy of God is not found in the law. Meaning, getting healed doesn't come because you're quick and you get out of the shadow of the law. Understand, it's found in Jesus. Healing and mercy, it's found in Jesus. And not only does Jesus save you and rescue you, he changes you. So therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2.6, so walk in him. I want to read the quote in its entirety. To run and work, the law commands. But it gives us neither feet nor hands. We can't do anything. But better news the gospel of Jesus brings, it bids us fly, and it gives us wings. 
This is the heart of the matter. God, I want to thank you for today, and I thank you for kind of just the awareness today of how following you is always going to flip our system upside down. So many of us in this room are kind of stooped in religion. God, we are um, bound up in the law. The law is beautiful. But the law shows us that we are incapable. I thank you that in John 5, you entered the story of a man that's broken, that's incapable, that no one could help. And it's a picture of exactly what you've done for us when you came to earth. And the real question for all of us in this room is the same question you asked this man. Do you really want to get well? And God, if we're honest, there's a lot of us in this room that, that really don't want to get well. We just want things to get better. And I pray that you would put a bright light on that lie. That we would understand what's at stake is our heart. And to get well, you need our heart. And Father, I want to ask that you do whatever it takes to get our heart. I pray for every person in this room, Father, that, that is coming closer to knowing you, that are, every person in this room that is actually taking steps and getting to know you, I pray that Colossians 2 would be a beautiful story, a beautiful verse about the story of our life. As we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so now we will walk with you. And I pray all of these things today in Jesus' name.